Hi, everyone. We are back with From the Table on our most recent bargaining session, which was on Article 12 and a side letter addressing grad issues. And we have quite a few folks with us. If you guys wouldn't mind introducing yourselves. My name is Kyle Reese Mandel. I'm Associate Teaching Professor of History and American Studies on the Rutgers Newark Campus and the Director of the Graduate Program in American Studies. And I serve on the Executive Committee to the Union. I'm Ryan Pinchot. I'm a third year PhD student in the Department of Spanish and Portuguese, and this was my first time attending a bargaining session. Hey, everybody. My name is Sarah Thompson. I am a fifth-year graduate student. I'm at Rutgers Newark with the School of Criminal Justice, and I am a union member. Hi, I'm Sarah DeGeorgis. I am also a fifth-year graduate student in the Department of Public Policy at Camden. I am on the executive committee of the union. I'm on the graduate worker steering committee, and I'm also on the bargaining committee. Hi, I'm Maria Garth. I am a fifth-year PhD candidate in the Department of Art History in New Brunswick. And like Sarah, I am also on the bargaining team, the executive council, and the graduate steering committee. Hi, my name is Liana. I am a fourth-year PhD student in geography at Rutgers, New Brunswick. I'm also the executive vice president for grad workers with the AAUP AFD. Thanks, everybody. I'm Danielle. I am also a sixth-year PhD student of media studies. Glad to have everyone here today. So, Maria and Sarah, as you are both part of the bargaining committee, would you mind giving us a rundown? Yeah, so maybe we will start with the side letter. That was the one that we presented first. The side letter is on graduate funding extensions. We had previously proposed graduate funding extensions in our Article 12 proposal, which we'll talk about next. But in, in this proposal, which is a counter to a proposal that management had given us in July, uh, we decided to take the graduate funding extensions into a separate side letter, which means that it could be signed before the whole contract is complete. And it's also something that is sort of temporary in the sense that these funding extensions are for people who weren't able to complete their program during the pandemic. We know that the several years of the pandemic have been really disruptive to graduate research, especially those who work in labs or have to travel for their research to go to archives or do some sort of on-site research. So we know this is a big problem, and we want the university to offer some sort of program where people can apply if they need an additional year of funding. So that's what this side letter proposes. It starts with proposing that any PhD student who was enrolled in 2019-2020 or 2020-2021 can receive an additional year of TA or GA funding. And if it's not possible to offer a TA appointment where you're teaching, they would be offered a graduate assistant appointment to work on their dissertation. And the only eligibility criteria that we proposed is just verification of enrollment status to make sure that as many people as possible could apply for this. We're proposing that this program begin ideally this semester if possible, but if not in spring 2023. There are a few other criteria, like we, the union would want to receive a list of everyone who's eligible and things like that. But that's the basic proposal. We're trying to include as many people as possible so that they can apply for this funding extension because nothing like this has been offered so far by the university. Great. Thanks so much. Sarah, did you want to talk a little bit more about Article 12? Well, Article 12 is basically where everything that relates to graduate students is except for salary. 
salaries in Article 8, and we are proposing a living wage there. But for Article 12, I'm just going to go through some of the main points. First, we are asking for recognition of fellows. Right now, only TAs and GAs are in our unit, and so we are asking that fellows be recognized as well. We know that often grad students go between fellowship, TA, GA, and it doesn't make sense to have them not in our unit. Next, we are demanding that everyone get the five years of funding, guaranteed minimum. We know that five years is not enough to finish a PhD usually, um, but it should be at least the minimum. We also have, um, if you're an instructor of record, you would get a greater or some additional compensation for your work. Um, since many graduate students are the instructor instructor of record and don't get any additional um, compensation for that. So that's the main parts of Article 12. Great. Thank you so much for that, Sarah. I, I'm really interested to hear from folks who came to both observe and also to speak and give testimonials on the on the ground experiences of the implications of the fact that these things are not currently part of our previous contracts. Kyle, Sarah, Ryan, and Liana all gave some really amazing testimonials, and we will be presenting those in total elsewhere. So um, if you wouldn't mind giving us kind of a, a little bit of a brief explanation of what you spoke about, that would be really helpful. So I'll go first. This is Kyle. One, I wanted to make clear that faculty and graduate program directors support these graduates' demands and that we are in the solidarity of graduate student workers. So that was number one important to me to be there. And also the letter that we sent to President Holloway a few weeks ago now signed by the faculty and graduate program directors. Um, two, I wanted to make clear that this COVID extension funding is urgent, necessary, and justified, that what we're asking for is quite simple easy to implement given the way it's been structured by the bargaining team. It is absolutely necessary given that all of us are being affected by COVID still, let alone the previous two years. Um, and as I think a couple of people pointed out, PhDs take a long time, but without that support, they actually take longer. Um, and so this is extremely short-sighted by management to not be funding graduate students at a minimum of five years and to extend this funding because it will take them longer, cost the university more, and frankly, it will cost people like me my own time to help my students get through when I could be building a better program that's actually more structurally sound in the long term. And so this is like the broader message I've been bringing all along. And I think everyone here agrees with, which is precarity hurts everybody. You guys don't finish your degrees as quickly. You don't produce the research that is actually world class. You know, I mentioned some of the things graduate students are working on at Rutgers, like curing diseases, doing research on reparations for slavery, right? These are like foundational important things to culture, society, New Jersey taxpayers, our stakeholders. And the, fundamentally, right, we are the university and that recognizing this builds the beloved community that's talked about so often that that is not a description, it is an action. And it only happens when you do it. And making clear that funding graduate students properly, a living wage, health insurance, minimum of five years, plus COVID extensions is building that beloved community. And I think all of us would be more invested in it uh, if that happened. That was like my overall, and I think you'll hear in a moment, people's reactions to <laughs> what was said, both by me and others, um, but a, a foundational frustration with the lack of engagement in substantive proposals, that there, that there was very little discussion of the actual merit or how to implement these things or even their necessity, which frankly, I found infuriating given the urgent need, particularly for the COVID extension funding, but also the broader demands that we have. 
Thank you, by the way, so much for being consistently an incredible advocate for grad needs. As a faculty member, it means a lot to us that you do that and that you always speak really clearly about not only the impact on grads, but the larger impact. And I just wanted to also add that Unfortunately, she's not here with us today, but Dr. Donna Merch also gave a really incredible um, analysis of the impact of a lot of these concerns, especially around COVID funding extensions for students of color and students who are first generation, the ways that that has specific impacts for who ends up having access to academia. Hopefully we will have a testimonial recorded from her too, because she gave a really powerful one as well. And I just really wanted to thank you both for your broad reaching analyses of that situation and the impacts. I would like to reiterate the gratitude. Uh, thanks so much for just being a constant supporter for those of us who continue this struggle. <laughs> and kind of a case study as it relates to the need for COVID extended funding. I had a contracted COVID in the summer of 2020. And unfortunately at the time, we really didn't know much about what was going on with how COVID impacted the body. And being a grad student, originally I had no idea that COVID had really continued to impact me after having contracted it and, you know, quote unquote, recovered from it. I was just experiencing a lot of health issues related to lethargy. I've actually run marathons before and I would run a mile and just want to curl up on the side of the road and take a nap. And, you know, and especially being a grad student and being isolated and alone, it's kind of like, well, maybe I'm just super bummed out. <laughs> and that was also really difficult on top of first time teaching and on top of te teaching remotely. And so I really poured my heart out during the bargaining session, highlighting a lot of these issues that I had confronted because I really hadn't made too much pro progress in the program because of all of these issues. And so, you know, I, I had talked about the issues I confronted. I provided an overview of the continued challenges I confront related to navigating Rutgers and trying to get access to healthcare, trying to get access to financial aid, you know, just basic necessities of life. And there's not been one easy part about the entire journey. And I just invested so much time, energy, blood, sweat, and tears into my um, graduate education. And so it's just been really frustrating that the conversations that we've had have not reflected the urgency that's required for this sort of situation. It's not reflected any critical thinking or any proactivity or any sort of initiative on the university to, to invest in their students. And so, and it's just really frustrating. It's really disheartening. It, it's almost kind of hurtful. I, I mean, myself, I'm working on specifically understanding security situations in West Africa. And I mean, that's a huge issue. And so, and this, the, what I'm researching directly impacts like millions of Nigerians and it's an urgent issue. And if I'm struggling to pay the bills and I'm worried about being evicted because I can't pay rent, then my, you know, my research uh, is impacted because of that. So anyway, thanks so much for giving us your time and for this platform. I really appreciate this conversation. Thank you so much for sharing that, Sarah. I think that resonates with a lot of us, both on the impact of what it felt like to be trying to conduct research and teach and go through the pandemic that everyone was experiencing and then the long-term effects of that too. And I really appreciate how honest and open you were both now and during bargaining. Um, it was really powerful. Um, I, I don't know who wants to speak next. I know Liana and Ryan, you both gave testimonies as well. Oh, sure. I'll jump in. Uh, yeah, like Sarah, I'm really grateful for the opportunity uh, to speak both at the bargaining session and to talk with you guys. 
I was asked to give testimony. I'm a department rep, but I'm very much a rank and file member. I'm not a member of the bargaining committee. So I actually, you know, I had not attended a session previously. So that was um, enlightening in a sense and uh, cathartic. I personally was speaking on the bargaining item asking that we give five years minimum funding to all PhD students, which is, I would say, the industry standard. And even in five years, it's uh, pretty unlikely that students are going to uh, complete with with their, you know, full financial support across that period. So kind of how Dr. Reese Mandel was addressing this notion of the cost to the university of precarity among their grad students. This was kind of the, the tact that I took as well. They're putting a lot of investments into global racial justice, a lot of the narrative investment in research and action, community-engaged research. And I was saying that this takes time and they're recruiting students, bringing students from all over the world, specifically to Rutgers, and then not giving them the support needed to carry their research through to completion this research that the university is already investing so much in. So I kind of covered the, the 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 personal side for the individual graduate student um, who's cut loose, right, for as many as two or three years, right, after, after their funding runs out. But then I also covered it from a kind of, from basically talking about the institution's reputation among its among the academic community worldwide and uh, the need to compete as far as recruitment and, and retention. And that's kind of a business argument before we even get into talking about like the moral obligation. But yeah, I mean, and, and, you know, as I said, it was my first time and, and I was, um, I was surprised by the tone from the other side. Yeah. I think every time someone comes for the first time to bargaining and then comes and joins us here, that's always kind of the, the first note is that I can't believe um, that people were sharing these stories of how we as members of the university, we as the teachers of your students are experiencing X, Y, and Z and management responds either not at all or rather callously or legalistically in some way that I think people find really jarring. Um, we've had undergrads come and they were appalled. And I think getting to experience the way that they respond to us trying to introduce transformational changes to our contracts that are have really big impacts on the lives of our fellow workers and students. Like it's just it's jarring to see them kind of respond to the way that they do. It's just so galling as well because Rutgers has resources. <laughs> we know that Rutgers received a lot of COVID funding. We know that Rutgers has made significant investments in their athletics program. And really what we're asking for as grad students is pennies, like really pennies to the dollar that Rutgers has. And it's just almost offensive that they would invest four years in me. But then if I, if I can't make it after the four years, then it's like, okay, well, I guess our investment didn't really mean anything. So you can go off and figure it out. And so it's just really insulting that they don't invest more time, energy, and resources in their grad students. And it's almost as though I'm just a um, transactional person, 
you know, that I really don't mean anything to be in university. I think that for a long time, the way that graduate school worked and the sort of individualization hid a lot of these kinds of experiences and people felt isolated in them and maybe weren't connecting as as workers, right, in this conversation. But I, I think that we're all kind of coming to a much more open dialogue about these experiences and feeling less isolated and feeling less like it's maybe something I did wrong, that I didn't progress fast enough. And instead that we're having a system conversation about, no, actually the structure of the way that this is working is untenable for the vast majority of people brought into it. So thank you for framing that. Sorry, Liana, to kind of go a little off track there for a bit, but would you be willing to talk to us a bit about your testimonial as well? Yeah, absolutely. We've been back in. So I was one of those people who was sharing uh, some some personal stories and information in the bargaining session. And I kind of went into it thinking that I would feel nothing, that I would feel totally fine. But I, it was actually really nerve wracking to uh, talk about my my situation, even though I didn't go into that much detail, it's still, I found myself getting really, really nervous and it was hard. So salute everybody who has spoken out um, and who has shared in these sessions. Not easy to do, and uh, but it's also really necessary. I was talking about my experience um, as a grad student who is on fellowship. I'm on fellowship this year was on fellowship for my first year in my program and then had two years of being a TA in between. So there are a lot of things that really changed for me when I became a fellow this year, including pay cut, lack of access to union benefits. Um, and then what I really highlighted in my testimony that's so important for me as somebody who is dealing with a couple of different health issues is the fact that when we go between being a TA or a GA and fellow, that we actually switch onto different health insurance plans. And the student health insurance plan that you have when you're a fellow is significantly worse than the state benefits that you have access to when you're a TA or a GA. So you're dealing with, you know, sort of inferior quality of care, different networks, and the fact that some of your providers that you've been working with, and for me, I really need to have continuity of care. I need to see the same doctors consistently. And I'm trying to reconstruct that care network. And it's very frustrating um, and extremely nerve wracking thinking like oh, I might not be able to go to my checkup appointment this month because of the change um, between different insurances. So I was highlighting, you know, what I've gone through personally, but then also stressing that it's not just me that's experiencing this. We have hundreds of grads who are on fellowship just this semester alone. Um, and I'm pretty sure that most of us are going back and forth just like I am between TAGA and fellows. So we're all dealing with these issues at some point in our grad career at Rutgers. Um, so this is really impacting all of us pretty significantly. And this is not just this is not just my issue, but an issue that impacts basically all grad students. And management had a small response to this, which was sort of trying to feel out if maybe, oh, well, there are a couple of grad students here and there that have essentially been misclassified that are doing um, TA or GA work, but they should, but they're classified as fellows, so they should really be in the other job classification. See that they were trying to maybe find some loophole there, but we're saying, no, this really has to be, we need all fellows, regardless of the type of work that we do, whether you're in lab sciences, humanities, social sciences, what have you, 
we all need to be part of the same bargaining unit and we all need to have the same access to healthcare, to adequate living wage stipends and union protections that we get when we are a TA or GA. Absolutely. I think that, yeah, like I, people are currently writing in the chat um, too and, and me as well that I think that that switch in healthcare is one of the most damning and difficult aspects of being a grad student of, at Rutgers is having that back and forth and the lack of clarity about those things. I, I also think it ties into this idea that like when you're a fellow, you're, you know, the fact that that's student insurance, the suggestion too there is that like students are somehow like not in need of decent healthcare. Like I'm very concerned about the fact that like the healthcare that we get is the healthcare all of our students are getting too. And that that is not adequate for a lot of people. The expectation is, oh, well, you're young and you're healthy, right? Like um, you don't need great insurance. It's fine. And I think that that sometimes goes along with the infantilization of of students, of grad workers. Um, but the idea that somehow we are not also human beings with complex health concerns um, as well, um, regardless of our age. Anyway. Sorry, this is a sidebar, but I really appreciated the framing of that as um, as a concern that I think the idea that they're trying to find loopholes, that it is only under certain circumstances that fellows are grad workers and not that they are consistently grad workers is something that I think uh, was really well pointed out. And I really appreciate that, too, that we need to constantly reiterate that grad work is working labor, regardless of whether or not we're necessarily a course as instructor of record or not, the research that we're producing and all of the support labor that we do is very much uh, our, like us participating and being workers at the university and we deserve protections for it. I'm just going to interject really quickly because, you know, I was having conversations with university HR about healthcare because I was, I was coming from a GA, GA position to a PTL and that there's a change in healthcare coverage. And, um, and you know, I had spent over two weeks calling, sending messages over one, uh, one source and emailing. I call, I mean, I was just using every manner I could to figure out what healthcare coverage I was going to have access to because I didn't want to have a gap in coverage for so many reasons. Right. And so, um, I was voicing my frustration with university HR with how difficult it was to navigate the entire process. And HR told me that, it didn't really matter that nobody really cares about healthcare coverage. So that's why they don't really spend that much time talking about healthcare. But for PTLs, you know, you basically spend your entire paycheck on healthcare coverage. So it's just not worth it, which is why the university says you don't get healthcare coverage because then you would make no money because all of your money would be spent on premium. Yeah. Anyway, thank you for listening to <laughs> <Yeah>. that. <laughs> Well, I think it's good that we also bring like PTL experiences into this too, because I think one of the things we don't talk about enough is that grad students and PTLs are often the same people, right? A lot of people who are PTLs are coming off of funding streams. And so they funnel us into a PTL ship um, under the guise of giving us continued funding on some level, which as you just pointed out, um, the cost of continuing in the programs of paying your tuition to stay matriculated of covering your own healthcare costs means that you have to teach two classes to be able to pay. If you were to continue COBRA and also pay your tuition and your fees, and that's with no, that's no money for food or housing or anything. I think that's one of the reasons that having a fifth year of funding as a bare minimum would be so critical for so many people, even though we know the typical is about seven. 
um, for most programs. That fifth year would make a huge impact on people having to move into PTL situations with no health care. I think that that's an important thing to add in because we are not separate, right? PTLs and grads, we are not separate. Maria and Sarah, if you guys wanted to add anything super particular about how they responded in, in the like legal sense and where we're at with that in our next steps, that would be really helpful. Um, yeah, Liana was saying that it, like how they were trying to focus on these little details for fellows and see if it was like just a small group. And that seems to be a pretty common tactic. And I would say with the COVID extensions, for instance, that was a big issue where there was a focus on people who were non-reappointed TAs and GAs. And that's where the full like list of people who may need extensions came from, even though we had tried to explain that that is actually not everyone. And I thought it was interesting in this past session that they seem to be um, they seem to be saying that we were kind of changing. We were like introducing something new in the side letter because we had said we just said graduate students, meaning that it would get fellows and TAs and GAs. And I think they were really focused on that because they were trying to say that they were introducing something new after we've already started. But I don't think that's really a good argument because in our Article 12, we are trying to get fellows recognized. So it seemed to me that that they tend to focus in on these these details to try to derail us. The idea that like we had introduced like a new thing with this side letter, um, I think that might come up again. And I think we have to be very clear that it's not a new thing. This is what we've introduced in our Article 12 and make sure that that's very clear. The other thing that is a recurring theme is that they're not really bargaining with us effectively. This was our 15th bargaining session, and I think this is maybe the second or third time that Article 12 has come across the table, and we're just still not really making progress. Uh, it's really disappointing to see because we had prepared these documents very carefully. We had you know, gone through multiple internal rounds to make sure that our Article 12 proposal was ready in our side letter. And it was sent to management on Friday, and then we bargained on Tuesday, and they said that they hadn't read our proposals and they weren't prepared to talk about it because they didn't have enough time, which I found ridiculous because in the past they have emailed us proposals literally as the session was starting, like the exact minute that the session was starting so that we didn't have any time at all to read it. So it was clear to see that because we had a lot of people in the room, they just didn't want to talk. They, they were very quiet the whole session, which I think is disappointing because we're really hopeful that they will bargain with us. And we just haven't seen that at all. I'd just like to add, again, as uh, someone who hadn't attended before, I had listened in to NYU's recent graduate negotiations because my wife was a PhD student at the time. So what I was expecting was somewhat closer to what I had heard in those sessions where they were dialoguing. So for me, going into this session, it was pretty clear that this reflects just a conscious decision, a strategic, tactical decision on their part to make sure that this particular session moves nothing forward. Well, I think... I think they do talk a little more in smaller sessions, but the overall trend is that we're making very slow progress, and that's not because we're holding it up. We're always prepared, and we always present a lot of articles and bargaining, and they're the ones that bring very little for us. 
I would say in general, I think their strategy is to try to slow down bargaining because it's in their favor, right, for us to take a really long time and not settle the contract quickly. But they do seem to be a little more talkative in smaller sessions, but it's still not like we're actually talking through like the details of any kind of a deal. Overall, it's just progressing very slowly. And I find that very frustrating. Pretty telling if management wants to have more conversations with smaller sessions, because especially you start talking about transparency, accountability, but they're not willing to even participate in a conversation that that's just pretty concerning. This lack of transparency um, as a scholar, <laughs> you know, it, it's alarming. There should definitely be more transparency to this process. Yeah, I think as much as we've tried to push them to have more, I do really appreciate that we have opportunities like this one. Like last week was our first small session and we had a lot of great conversations with people who were able to participate in that so that hopefully we at least are producing access to transparency, even if people are not necessarily allowed by management to be present in the room, there is the opportunity to understand what's going on. There are really great notes that are being put up on our um, our website as well with a lot of details on what's happened. Um, but yeah, I think that it's on us to maintain that tra transparency because certainly management isn't interested or invested in doing it. So um, when we do have these open sessions, it's really critical that as many people can, who can come and attend and witness this, especially if you have never done so. And so there are always going to be opportunities to sign up, look for emails. There will be links on the website to sign up for upcoming sessions as well. Um, we had a pretty good attendance this week, and it was really great to see so many new faces be present for a bargaining session. And then we're lucky to have people here who work in both bargaining and a lot of organizing, too. And if you guys wanted to talk a little bit about other things that people can do in order to get involved and support our contract campaign outside of the bargaining table, that would be really welcome, too. Strike School is great. I went... I think like the first week or something. It's two sessions. Uh, so the first one is kind of like an overview of our union of Rutgers, kind of um, things like that. And then the second is more of like uh, teaching you to talk through a conversation. And so I highly, I think people should definitely go. It's very interesting. It's also great to meet new people. It's always interesting who's in your session because it's like, kind of random. We have so few opportunities to meet co-workers outside of our immediate departments and just getting to see how people experience their relationship to the university, to their work outside of just our little microcosms is always just such a great thing to seconding that. Absolutely. The union is the way that I've met so many amazing people at Rutgers. And there are a couple of opportunities if you want to meet other folks, get more involved in organizing efforts. We have a grad-focused town hall on November 30th. It's going to be from 5.30 to 7 on Zoom. We're going to be talking about issues that grad students are facing as well as our um, bargaining demands. While it will be a grad-focused event, this is also going to be open to the public as well. So if you're an undergrad, if you're a faculty member, if you're staff at Rutgers, anyone is welcome. We're actually going to be inviting President Holloway to sit down with us in this venue and to see if this can be a moment when we can really hash out what it takes to make graduate education at Rutgers more sustainable 
for graduate students. See, we'll see if he comes, but we we want this to be a venue for all of us to have a, a serious conversation about moving grad issues forward. And then on a more week by week basis, the graduate student steering committee meets every other week on Fridays from 1 to 2 p.m. on Zoom. These meetings are open to all grad students, TAs, GAs, fellows. We welcome everyone and anyone to attend these. This is also a space where we're sharing information, we're planning events and actions, and we're talking about what's happening in the contract campaign. You should get an announcement email in your inbox with the RSVP form to sign up for both the SC meetings and also the grad town hall. So please, please do come out. We'll also make sure that we linked that in this episode too for folks. So if they're looking for the links more like directly, they can find them there too. Um, and then I just want to close out by thanking everyone so much for coming um, and the work that you're doing at the bargaining table, especially those people who are at our bargaining team. And then everyone who's sharing very personal experiences. Just really appreciate that you guys came and shared that with us because even though management might not respond the way one would hope, those stories have incredible impacts on your coworkers and colleagues. And it means a lot that you took the time and we're vulnerable enough to share that. Thank you so much for hosting and for facilitating this conversation. I'm really grateful that the union provided me with the platform to speak to the issues that I've been confronting that directly impact me. So I would also like to extend um, my gratitude to Maria and Sarah for you know offering the opportunity to speak to my issues and to advocate for myself and having a conversation that validates the fact that I'm not crazy and that there are so many of us that are out there. This impacts everybody. I'd echo that. It's been fun seeing the tremendous work that you all are doing behind the scenes that not everyone is necessarily aware of, but in the end, they will be aware of it when we get the thing done. So thanks a lot. Yes, exactly. When we get the thing done. And any way that you can get involved, please do. Um, bargaining is one part of the process. We need everybody in every capacity that they can possibly find ways in. So whatever your talents are, whatever your skills are, whatever your interests are, we look forward to having you with us. Please reach out and we will help find your way. <laughs> Great. Thank you so much, everybody, again, for coming.